He's a surprising boy, different than I would have imagined the Savior to be. I pictured him more serious, stern, harsh, maybe, but he is gentle, and he has the sweetest laugh. Jesus, make sure the other boys stay where I can see you all, please. He's such a delight. All my children are delightful, you understand. But Jesus, he is joyful in obedience. The most loving child I've ever known. Yes, I know, he's grown old enough that he can take care of himself. And I know he won't get into any trouble, but I can't help but want to keep an eye on him. You may call me overprotective, But I'm still reeling from what happened on our visit to Jerusalem a couple weeks ago. We had a beautiful visit to to Jerusalem. We always love going to the city to worship. And things went very smoothly on the way there. He stayed with Joseph most of the time, which makes sense. He is at that age where he ought to be spending his time with the grown men. So, naturally, I assumed that he would be returning from Jerusalem with Joseph. I went ahead with the other women to prepare for our return, to clean up the home, to prepare meals, so that life could resume smoothly. When the men caught up with us a few days later, Jesus wasn't with them. I have never before felt such panic. I was so afraid for my son. And so angry with my husband. Of course, Joseph had assumed that Jesus had gone with me because he hadn't seen him since the women had left the city. He wasn't to blame, but fear often makes me angry before it makes me despair. So I was angry for a time, for much of our journey back to the city, and for much of our exhaustive search. We checked the likely places first, the home where we had been staying, a shop where he had found friends, but no one had seen Jesus for days. I kept trying to tell myself that this could not be a part of God's plan. Certainly not. He couldn't be lost to us. If I trusted in God's promises, he couldn't be dead. And yet, that fear threatened to overwhelm me, to swallow us both. Joseph wouldn't eat. Neither of us could sleep. We began to search street by street, visiting homes of people that we didn't know, asking everyone we passed on the street if they had seen Jesus. Eventually, our search brought us to the temple. It seemed like a strange place for a 12-year-old boy. But... Then again, Jesus is a strange boy. I almost didn't see him at first. I was so intent on finding someone to question that I didn't even notice. But there he was, sitting with the rabbis, asking questions and soaking up their teaching. His face was intent and serious, and I was amazed that these important men were watching him as well and listening to him. The teachers and the religious leaders were intent upon my son, my Jesus. 
course, I was so overcome at seeing him that I, I ran right up to where he was. I'm not even sure. I may have interrupted one of those important men while they were speaking. But all I could say when I reached him was, Son, why have you done this to us? Your father and I have been frantic, searching for you everywhere. I may have shouted. But he just stared at me like he was puzzled. And he said, but why did you need to search? Didn't you know that I would be at my father's house? We had no idea what he was talking about. All of the religious leaders looked confused, too. But I've spent some time thinking about those words lately. They told us in the temple that Jesus has a remarkable understanding for one so young. Precocious, one of the teachers called him. Yet you could see that they could not dismiss Jesus or his words. You might expect that this taste of freedom would make him more independent, less likely to follow our rules, but no. Jesus is so obedient Sometimes his goodness makes me stop and see my own flaws in new and troubling ways. Almost like I should be the one to answer to him. More than anything else, though, I am so grateful to still have him with us. I thought we had lost him. I don't know what I would have done if we had lost him. But in some ways, it feels like more of a real possibility than it ever has before. Thank you, Jamie. It's been great having Jamie Wright not only uh, present this to us today, but writing each of the monologues that we've been using in this series, bringing to life the very real things that Mary experienced that we could learn from. I don't know about you, have you ever lost one of your children in a crowd? Have you ever left one of them behind? Have you been one of those children that were lost in a crowd, or the one that was left behind? My sister Amy, who's eight years younger than I am, at, at the moment of my recollection of this encounter, she was three years old. My family was going to the grand opening of a brand new indoor mall. It was holiday weekend, and every other family had the same idea. It was jammed, packed, full of people. It was in an era when there was a lot of concern of the safety of children going on, and there were things on the news of some abductions that have taken place, and some bad things that were happening to candy at Halloween time, and this is when you would x-ray all your candy, and so fear was on the forefront of many parents' minds. As we were walking through this mall, uh, as Amy's older brother and the curator of our newfound treasure chest of candy, I decided it would be good for me to give her a small little box of bubble gum that we received. This way, she would chew on it, and it wouldn't go away, and it would keep her mouth occupied, and she wouldn't ask me for any more of the candy. And so I thought this would be the best thing to do. So I gave her her little box of bubble gum, and she was happily chewing the gum. As our family made our way through this mall... We went down an escalator and we went into this landing of the food court area. 
My dad was leading the charge up front. My mom was bringing up the rear. As we came to the end of the escalator, my mom yelled out, Lenny, do you have Amy? He turned and he said, no, I thought she's with you. And then dad and then mom both looked at me and I said, I I don't know. At that moment, I watched mom and dad flip into panic search mode. Mom went one way searching and dad went the other and grabbed me by the hand and took me with him. He made a beeline to the pet store where Amy was preoccupied moments before as we were walking by and she was looking at the pets inside the shop. He went into the shop and we looked everywhere down each aisle. We couldn't find Amy anywhere. And I will never forget, I've never seen my dad quite like this. He climbed on top of a doghouse display, stood on top of it, put two fingers in his mouth and did his sports whistle as loud as he could. And the whole store stopped. A hush came over them. They all looked at us and my dad shouted, I've lost my daughter. She's three years old. She has blonde hair and blue eyes. Have you seen her? People still stared at us, but they didn't say anything. There was no Amy to be found. So we left that store and we went up and down the the paths of this mall looking everywhere we could. And finally my dad said, well, let's go meet your mother. They had set a place for us to meet in a matter of minutes. As we were making our way to the meeting place, we saw my mom from a little far off, and we could see by the look on her face, she had not had any success. We gathered there together, and we were comparing notes on where we had searched to find my three-year-old sister. By the way, I wasn't that concerned. You know, brothers aren't as concerned about losing their sister as parents are. But I could see mom and dad were pretty concerned, and as they compared notes, out of the corner of mom's eye, she saw this toddler just making their way down the mall, just about ready to go into the Sears department store. We rushed over to get close to her, to not lose her again. And as we got closer, we saw on her face was no panic, no fear, a box of bubble gum, and she was as happy as she could be. My dad walked up to her, and she looked at him as if to say, Hey, Dad, what's up? Most of us have had an experience, something like that. I remember... Not that long ago, I took my daughter, Caden, camping. It was a father-daughter weekend. Caden was six years of age, and I was excited to have a weekend of Daddy Caden camping. We got the tent set up. The wood was all ready. We hopped in the truck. We made our way to the ranger station. We got out of the truck. We went into the ranger station. We paid for our camping spot went back to the truck, and I was deep in conversation with Caden, reminding her, telling her how epic this weekend was going to be. No showers, no brushing teeth, getting dirty, not telling mom about it till we get home. It was going to be awesome. As I was waxing on eloquently, as I had put the truck in drive and was making my way out of the parking lot, I noticed that Caden was not responding to my conversation very much. So I turned back and I looked, and there was no Caden in the back seat. So I turned the truck sideways and I looked back from the place that I came and I saw 50 yards back, there was six-year-old Caden with her hands down and that far away I could tell she wasn't happy. She was crying. I drove the truck over and I pulled up to her and I jumped out and she was bawling, Dad, you left me! Why do you want to leave me? As I put my arms around her and I consoled her and I said, Honey, I, I wasn't planning on leaving you. I'll never leave you. Let's not tell Mom about this. Let's just... After the relief, I had this sense of panic, and I'm the grown-up in this situation. I'm supposed to be watching her. Most of us have had a situation like that before. 
Most of us have had an experience of either being the one that was left or the one who had lost what was so precious to you. Parents, as you remember that moment, when you find your child who has wandered off, you're torn. Half of you wants to embrace them in in love and in relief that you found them. The other half wants to scold them and say, how irresponsible you need to stay close to mom and dad. If you're the parent like me and you were the one who left them, you are overcome with the sense of, oh my goodness, what a terrible parent I have been. I'm the first parent in the world that has ever lost track of their child. But imagine if your child wasn't oblivious to the danger just eating bubblegum out of a box, or if they weren't freaked out in fear with tears streaming down their eyes because they had been left, what if your child tells you, I chose to stay behind. I chose to wander off. What if they had no remorse when, when you gave your best lecture that you had of responsibility and how you need to stay close to mom and dad, and what if they rebuked you? How would that go over? How would you respond This is where we find Mary and Joseph in the scripture that we have for today. And so take your Bible and turn with me to Luke chapter 2. We'll start at verse 40 here in just a couple minutes. As believers, we know that God's plans take precedent over ours. Sometimes we're blindsided by the events and it reveals our heart. If we're honest, we just prefer to be in control most of the time. But following God means letting go of things that mean the most to us. Mary experienced a similar loss when her 12-year-old son, Jesus, stayed behind at the temple. This temple in Jerusalem, it was crowded during this Passover time, so it wasn't a surprise that Mary and Joseph lost track of, of Jesus. Parents, it's easy to understand Mary's frustration and the overwhelming feeling of relief. But Jesus' response signified a change in the relationship. Jesus said, Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? Mary was confused by this question. Even as a child, Jesus was aware of his purpose. Now Mary is being called into a new level of obedience. To let go of her role as mother and to become the disciple of the Christ child. Even when she is safely at home, Mary continues to ponder these events. Perhaps the pain of the temporary loss would prepare her for the greater loss that was to come when her son would die on the cross. Mary's story shines a light on the shadowy corners of our own hearts. So would you join with me as we look at Luke chapter 2, reading the scripture that's before us today. Luke 2, starting at verse 40. And the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. Every year his parents went to Jerusalem for the feast of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up to the feast according to the custom. After the feast was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day. And they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. 
When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Why were you searching for me? Jesus asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying to them. Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the scripture that you have before us today. I ask that you will breathe on it again. And Lord, would you allow us not to hear my words, but Lord, may we have your words stir in our heart. Jesus, would you bring to mind not only what this would have meant for Mary, but Lord, as she responded to you, would you speak to us about what you have for us today and how we can respond to your prompting and leading in our life as well. Your kids are listening. Speak to us, Lord. Amen. If you're a parent, you might reluctantly admit to have driven off without your child. In a scramble to get on the road and get ahead of schedule, maybe you messed up the head count. But imagine returning in panic only to find that your child intentionally stayed behind, not giving any remorse after giving you the scare of your life. As the mother of God's son, Mary faced not only typical parenting challenges, but she experienced parenting challenges that no one of us have ever or will ever experience. The unusual parenting experiences of being the mother of Jesus. She knew that God had a plan for Jesus. And although she didn't fully understand the details of that plan, this incident at the temple implies that Jesus did understand God's plan for him. The time had come for Mary to begin relinquishing control of Jesus, moving from Jesus' mother to now being a follower and disciple, and giving up that control could not have been easy. True devotion often requires that we surrender ourselves to God's plan, even when we don't understand it. Mary's devotion meant surrendering her maternal instincts to protect her son from great danger so he could pursue God's will, the mission for which he was born. She had already given up some control. She gave up control of her body. She gave up control over her reputation. She gave up control of the things she didn't understand. But here, the very thing she thought, surely I can have the motherly tendencies to watch after this child. Now we see there is a shift and she's preparing to let go again. As we look closer at the text, we see Jesus as a child here in these verses. In fact, it's the few places in all Scripture we find teaching about Jesus as a child. Luke chapter 2, verse 40 and verse 52. And the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. And then verse 52, and Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. Most of the stories that we find in Scripture about Jesus... They're focused on his ministry as an adult. In fact, only two of the Gospels, Matthew and Luke, include in their writings the account of Jesus' birth. Most of Jesus' childhood is summarized in these two verses, verse 40 and verse 52. And that book ends this account that 
we just saw skit on that we just read the text in where Mary and Joseph found Jesus after searching in the temple. Luke concludes this infancy narrative of Jesus as the baby, and he goes right into Jesus the man in his ministry, and the hinging transition is this account. One, there's a transition for Jesus and a transition for Mary. Luke concludes this story with this transition of his gospel, not giving all the details around it, but hinging one to another. This incident in the temple shows us that even as a child, Jesus was clear on his mission. We don't know much about these portions of Jesus' life. We don't know what he was like as a teenager. We don't know the stories of his 20s. But we do have this one story. When we know so little, and yet we are given this one story, why would Luke give us this one story? Why would this be the one that's highlighted? What could it mean for us? If we step back and we look at all of Luke's gospel, we see this hinge, this transition that takes place from Jesus the Christ child to Jesus the man in his ministry, and we find this transition piece. I believe it's one of of letting go. Look at verse 41 through 49 with me. This letting go, it's, it's hinged in this backdrop of being lost in the crowd. We just read about it. It's the Passover, known as the Feast of the Unleavened Bread, commemorating God's leading of His people out of slavery, out of Egypt. The worshipers would come and they would sacrifice a lamb at the temple and they would eat a Passover meal at a house or, or in a room. Jerusalem's population would skyrocket. Throngs of devoted Jews would make their pilgrimage to the temple during this time of festival. In fact, the Jewish historian Josephus estimates that there was nearly three million people gathering in this town for the festivals. It wouldn't be far-fetched to see how a parent could, could lose track of a child in the crowds of that size. As Mary and Joseph would pack up and they would go back home thinking one had the child and the other had the child and then discovering he wasn't there and racing back this anxiety is one that we can identify with but there is a new purpose that is highlighted mary's anxiety of losing jesus it had to have been intense here she is the divinely appointed caretaker of the son of god and she's lost him can you imagine what she'd be thinking here Gabriel came to me and said, Behold, you don't need to be afraid. You're going to be with child and you're going to have a son. Name him Jesus. He's going to be the Savior of the world. I have appointed you, the Lord says, to be the mother of Jesus. Gabriel, I I lost him. I I know that I'm not the important part of this story and it's, it's all about Jesus. It's not about me, but surely I could have done the role of mom. I mean, isn't that within my realm of capability and and I've, I've lost them. It had to have been intense for her. As Mary finds Jesus, and her fade, and her excuse me, her relief fades to exasperation. I like how Jamie put it. Maybe Mary would have said, "I think I shouted a little." I could just imagine Mary now speaking to Jesus in that mom tone. You know what that is? 
It's yelling, but it's wrapped in love, but it's still yelling. We don't like to hear it, but the eyes are locking eyes with the child, and there is communication happening, and you better be listening. Why did you put us through this, Jesus? And here this new purpose is being brought out. Jesus responds by declaring this primary relationship he has with his heavenly Father. Did you not know that it's necessary for me to be in my Father's house? See, here we're seeing this purpose of Jesus' divine heavenly Father and Him being the divine Son. This relationship trumps everything else around it. And then Jesus is surprised. Didn't you know that? It reveals that He thinks that these circumstances should have been apparent to Mary. But now we move from this new purpose that's taking place in Jesus' life a new turn of it at least for Mary, we see the lack of understanding of Mary and Joseph. They've been obedient. They followed God's law. They followed God's call. They expected the unexpected. They had exceptional worship. They were moving forward in obedience. They had already given up so much control. And here again, they're at a place where they don't quite understand what's happening. Luke reports that Mary and Joseph not only didn't understand at the time, but as Mary gets safe home again, she continues to ponder these things in her heart. The meaning of Jesus' words and His actions. Could it be that the painful, nerve-wrecking experience of this temporary loss would it have likely prompted her to recall Simeon's warning we talked about just a few weeks ago? Perhaps she's beginning to understand more and more of the nature of Jesus' calling Does it start her to prepare her heart for the future loss of her son dying on the cross? Perhaps she begins to understand more of of what Jesus is calling her to do, of, of now having the love of a mother being made subject to the love of the Heavenly Father. Her role shifting and changing. And it's this moving of, of devotion, of love to Jesus, to now being a disciple of Jesus. What a crossroad that Mary faces. As she joins Jesus in this reunion, as she was clearly in the know on the early stages of God's leadership in his life, she had yet to understand all the sacrifice that Jesus would make. Her devotion to God and her love for her son were now being called to be made one. Mary was the only person to face this. She's the only person to first be the mother of God and then to move into being a child of God. And this transition, while it's unique to her and not to us, her response is one that we can learn from. She's obedient again. She ponders it again, but we see that she moves and lets go and lets God again. The true mission of Jesus is coming out. At the temple, Mary learned through this dramatic and frightening experience that this was a theme that was going to go all throughout Jesus' life. Jesus' ways were not like others' ways. Jesus' idea of his mission was different than the other siblings. It was different than everybody around them. There was something special about him. The young Jesus taught his parents that his mission was just getting started. And that they needed to embrace and let go and understand that He was going to follow the will of the Father no matter what. Likewise, we too could be prepared 
to acknowledge and embrace the relationship with our Heavenly Father that should trump everything else around us. Well, well this is good study and an intriguing look at Mary's life, seeing the humanity, seeing the divinity of Jesus. But what could possibly the Lord have for us today? What application could we see? I think there's many, but there's one that I want to highlight for us. It's this cost of devotion. It's this idea that we are called to prepare to let go, even in the midst of our obedience, even in the midst of doing what God has called us to do. There's a new stage of obedience. There's a new place where we say, God, sometimes if I'm honest... What you've entrusted to me, what I've been obedient, you've entrusted to me, I've embraced your work, your calling, your mission. I've embraced the loved ones that you've given to me. I've embraced the talents that you've given to me. I've embraced the job you've given to me. And if we're not careful, we can get so wrapped up in loving and caring for what has been given to us, then in obedience to God, that we begin to love this more than the one who's given it to us. Mary was called to move in this next step of obedience to begin to let go of what she was so dedicated to loving. Moving from devotion to being a disciple. By necessity, total devotion to something greater than ourselves means that we need to make individual sacrifices. We must surrender our will to the greater plan even when we lack full understanding. In this process of surrender... Devotion, love of God and what He has given, is to transform into discipleship, into following, into obedience to what He has given. All throughout the New Testament we find this. When Jesus calls people to become His disciples, He requires that they make a break with their past, leaving the trappings of their former life behind. When Jesus calls the rich young ruler to follow Him, the man must abandon all of his possessions. His disciples, when he called them, they were to leave everything behind when they responded to his call. They were to leave their livelihoods. They were to leave their families. They were to leave their past. Recognizing Jesus as Messiah. It brings about this turning point for Mary and for anyone who would follow and obey God. That we're not just leaving that past behind, leaving those possessions behind. We are letting go and giving him control even of what he has blessed us with. I remember a number of years back, in our house we had an encounter with cancer. My wife Carrie had a bump on her ankle for most of her life, and as it grew in size, we had to go have it looked at. And as we got the doctor's report that this tumor was cancerous and required surgery, it hit us with some deep concern, as it would anybody, but also knowing the family history and what we walked through with Carrie's dad of passing away from leukemia, there was a deep concern in our heart. I'll never forget that night before the surgery as Carrie and I had been talking through this whole process and as she became very transparent and pulled back the curtain of her heart, she said, Brady, I, I just am really struggling tonight with feeling out of control. I remember holding her hand and trying as gently as I could to share what was on my heart. I said, honey, you have never been in control. In those moments of feeling out of control, we can all think of something in our life where it's a preference or it's something that we like that's kind of humorous. And we think, well, I just hate to be out of control. But if you live life long enough, you're going to find a situation that ceases to be funny. 
where you're trying to be obedient to God. You're doing everything He's calling you to do. You're moving in obedience and you, you want to just cry out, God, could you not at least give me handles to hang on to something here? I'm trying to be obedient to you, but I feel like I'm flailing and I feel like I have no control of the situation. Here, we see in this transition piece of Scripture, as we move in, and we'll talk more of Mary's life here in the next couple of weeks, but there's an important thing happening again. Not for the first time, I would argue, but it's an important reminder that it can happen again and again and again where Mary is preparing to let go and let God again. As we come to a close this morning, I want to ask you, What is it that the Lord may be speaking to you? Maybe the Lord wants to remind you that He's big enough that you can trust. But I think for the overwhelming majority of us this morning, there's many who are walking in obedience. And you have already surrendered to God, but there's moment upon moment upon moment where He calls you again to surrender control to Him. I think... That while Mary's story is not our story, I've said it once, I'll say it a bunch more throughout this series. Don't misunderstand me. I'm not suggesting your role in life is the same as Mary's. But Mary's response to God, who is our same God, her response to Jesus, who is our same Jesus, as she responded in obedience in light of her unique past, in light of her unique current circumstances, and the future hopes and dreams that God had for her, we can learn from her obedience. And part of that, of being a followers, not only to be devoted to God, to love Him, to love what He's given to us, but to move into a place of being a disciple who says, I'm not in control, you are. And I want to surrender again. So as we pray this morning, I want you to ask God, God, what do you want to say to me? Is there something you want to put your finger on where you're calling me to release this to you again? Maybe it's your kids. They're a gift from God. You love them. You've done everything in your power to raise them in the things of the Lord. Maybe he's telling you again, I want you to surrender them to me again. Maybe it's with that talent. You've done everything you can to serve God with the abilities that you have. But maybe he's saying, I want you to give that to me again. And let me remind you, I'm in control of that. Maybe it's in your resources or in your job. Maybe it's in the comfort you take of the reputation that you've worked so hard to build. Maybe the Lord says, would you just let go and let me be God of that as well. Heavenly Father, I thank you that as we hear Mary's story, while there's pieces of it that's pretty hard for us to identify with, even tough for us to grasp of the miraculous work you did in and through her, Lord, there's many pieces this morning that that we can connect with. And Lord, would would you highlight for us the principle of letting go and, and letting you take over in new ways in our journey with you. I pray for my brother and sister today as you're putting your thumb, your finger on those items. As they ponder it, as they think about it, would you remind them that They don't have to understand it. They don't have to have it all pulled together. But as they move in trusting you, Lord, would you take their devotion and would you give them a heart of discipleship to follow with reckless abandon whatever you lead them to. In your name I pray. Amen.
and amen. Church, would you stand with me? As you take off in just a couple moments, it's my prayer that you would ponder these things, contemplate these things in your heart, just as Mary did. Would you not only think about her story, but would you think about what God is doing in your life, especially the things that you don't understand, especially the things that you feel like it's tough to let go of control in, and maybe let God speak to you and remind you again of how faithful and good He is and how you can trust Him with these things. Just before you go, I want to give you one last reminder. If, if you have room in your schedule at all tonight, if there's any flexibility in changing your plans, I invite you, don't miss tonight at 645. Typically we meet at 6, not tonight, 645 in this room. Join us as we join a bunch of brothers and sisters around the world watching this simulcast of this presentation, this documentary entitled The Insanity of God, where this missionary couple who's lost their son deal with the very real tough question, is Jesus worth all this? And they look into the persecuted church, and while their story is not like most of our stories of the persecution they face, the things that we call persecution, God help us, we'll look tonight, maybe we could stop whining. But while their story may be different than our story, we could learn from their story and allow it to encourage us and to challenge us in the journey that God has called us in. This experience will be a little bit intense. And so if you have young children, I encourage you to talk with Pastor Rex or Pastor Edgar or myself to get a a clearer picture of what it will be like so you can make a decision if this would be appropriate for your young children. But I hope that you can join us tonight. God bless you. You're dismissed.